Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I welcome Lydia Finette to the show. Lydia will share the secret sauce all women need to feel empowered. Lydia, I am so excited to have you on the show with me today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Caroline. I'm so thrilled to be on the show. Well, let's dive into a juicy conversation, but I want to bring our audience back. You have this gorgeous new book, and I literally say gorgeous because I've got the hard copy in my hand, and it's called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Command an audience and sell your way to success. But first, I would love for you to tell our global audience about your journey to becoming an auctioneer, because it's incredibly important to um, the underpinnings of this book. So share that story, if you will. Absolutely. So I interned at Christie's in college when I was a junior in college, Christie's Auction House, which I knew nothing about before I interned there other than what I'd read in a magazine article about the auction world, which to a woman who was 19 years old in college, it seemed very glamorous. It seemed, in my opinion, to be the epitome of what I wanted as a working woman, to live in New York City and have a job that let you interface with incredibly powerful people and travel and be around the most incredible art at all times. Everything about it appealed to me. So I applied for an internship in college. And after you have to sort of read the book to get the story, but I acquired this internship and I realized that it was my opportunity to really get in the door and work as hard as I could and show everyone that I was willing to do anything to stay. And that's really what I did. And I'd been at the company for a couple of years and they allowed the entire company to try out for the auctioneering program. And what's interesting is up until that point, the auctioneer program had really been for senior executives. And they'd had a number of people who, when they were asked to take auctions, and these are charity auctions, so they're outside of the four walls of Christie's. These are galas anywhere in the United States where you go on stage to raise money for different nonprofits. And so up until that point, Point, it had been all of the senior executives, but we'd had a year where a lot of them kept missing these auctions, which really were held for our top clients. So it became a little bit of a problem. So they opened up the tryouts to a larger audience. And at the age of 24, as a young woman, I went into the auctioneering tryouts with about 20 other people. And after a four-day tryout, I was sort of last man standing with three gentlemen who were all about 15 years older than me. And it occurred to me at that moment that I was just going to have to do exactly what I had seen everyone else do. I was going to have to really employ exactly the British accent and this sort of staid, very poised posture that our older British gentlemen auctioneers used when they were on stage because, frankly, they were successful and that that was how I was going to be successful. And it was funny because I realized about five years into doing it. So when I say five years, that was roughly 500 auctions that I had stood on stage pretending to be an older British gentleman. I say in the book that I think I was actually affecting a British accent. But I realized that I needed to start using the fact that I was a woman as a differentiator and not being afraid of the fact that I was a young woman. Because if you were to close your eyes, if you knew anything about an auction, if you've ever seen it in a movie, you certainly would not think about a 20-something-year-old woman on stage as the auctioneer, right? And so it became this sort of this moment for me. And again, I talk about this in the book. It was this incredible moment, an aha moment, if you will, where I realized that if I started to really get on stage and act as myself, I was going to be a much more effective salesperson. And that's what I did. Which is such a gift at that young age, right? To to have that awareness. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think I had been on stage so many times and I realized that I wasn't getting the reaction from the crowd that I so desperately wanted. And that for me was just such a a moment of, wait a second. And in the book, I talk about it. You know, I had been sick all day. I sort of dragged myself to stage and I got on stage and I couldn't pretend to be anyone other than who I am. And I have a very robust sense of humor that I use to get myself out of sticky situations constantly. (laughs) And I realized when I got on stage that if I used a little bit of humor and I talked a little bit about the fact that I was a woman and I was a young woman on stage and wasn't that kind of funny in itself because an auctioneer really shouldn't look like me, that people were drawn to that and kind of participated in that narrative by laughing and being a little more engaged. And so I just made it a warmer, more comfortable auction. I started talking to the crowd as opposed to looking at them only for their bids. I was looking at them for inspiration as to what we were going to do next in the auction by calling them out or sort of engaging with them the entire time. And it just became a lot more fun. I think it became a lot more fun for the audience. And then, as I say in the book, it's, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more fun I had, the more fun the audiences had, the more requests I received, and the more senior executive notice I received as a result of that. Because their clients were calling and saying, we saw this sort of sassy young woman on stage who we'd like to try out at our auction and see how it works. And, you know, then you realize that you can actually be the differentiator. You can be the role model for other people because I had never seen anyone do that. I just knew that it worked for me. And it became such an incredible part of my job at Christie's and frankly, a huge part of my life. I mean, people all the time in New York will say to me, I'll open a door or I'll see someone in a meeting and they'll say, you got $15,000 off of me for, you know, the ASPCA last night. (laughs) Um, So it's fun. It's a great, it's a great thing. And I absolutely love it. Well, what I love about the book is you write, you share so many concrete lessons that all of us can use to think about how we can be authentic, like you just said, and especially when we're public facing. So I want you to take us through some of them. You talk about finding your own strike method. Would you share with us what that is? Absolutely. So one of the reasons I wrote this book was because I get off stage. And again, I've been an auctioneer for 16 years. And as long as I can remember when I get off stage, people always ask me the same question, and especially women. How do you do that? How do you get up there with such confidence and power? I could never do that. I could never sell anything. I'm a terrible salesperson. And so when I really thought about it, it kept occurring to me that People think sales is so dirty and and they use it as such a negative word when in fact, as women, we're natural salespeople. We're navigating things every day of our life. And I don't think that anyone does it as well as women. And so I say in the book that when I really brought it back to how I gain that confidence on stage, it all comes down to what I call the strike method. So every single time that I get on stage, I have a gavel that I bring with me and it doesn't matter how nervous I am. And I go in front of people. I mean, I go in front of audiences as large as 6,000 people. So, you know, I'm backstage. I'm just a normal person. How do I grow into that confident person? And for me, it's that gavel. So I walk on stage. I take a second to spread my notes on the podium. I look up this huge crowd with a massive smile on my face because I'm bringing the energy that I want from the room. And I slam down that gavel three times as hard as I possibly can. And it's amazing because the audience, I mean, again, I'm going in front of people at 11 o'clock at night who've had 15 glasses of wine and frankly don't even know that there's an auction about to take place, Um, nor do they want an auction to take place more importantly. So that gavel helps everybody sort of pivot quickly to the podium and they look at me. And what I say really the strike method, yes, it's about that gavel strike, but it is what comes out of my mouth next. And so for me, it is with 
one sentence that I say every single time. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Lydia Finette. I am so delighted to be here. And then I throw in a joke. And the joke came after years of practice. But just being able to give that opening line every single time I went on stage, I stopped being nervous because I realized that I didn't have to stumble through my entry. My memory is so locked into that sentence that every time I go on stage, I'm surveying the audience as I say it. I don't even have to think about it. And I realized that I do that anytime I go into a business meeting or if I'm having a difficult conversation, I make sure that I line up that opening line so that I am ready to go the minute I start. And so that's what I say with a strike method. Figure out what that is. For some people, I know athletes who I interviewed in the case studies for my book talk about having a physical thing that they do. You know, one rower said that she always puts her hand on the woman in front of her to let her know, we're ready to go, we're going to do this. But, you know, I have another friend who's like, the last thing I think about in every single meeting when I'm going in to pitch for my charity is the children that I'm helping. You know, so it can be visual, it can be mental, it can be putting your hands on top of a table or squeezing them very hard underneath the table. You'll find something that's authentic to you, but it's something that just helps you get laser focused and ready to sell. That is a great technique. Lydia, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. Lydia, I was so thrilled to hear you talk about how you found your authenticity and stopped um, trying to pretend to be an older British gentleman, right? And you found your group, and I just love that story. And you talk in the book about how it's important to not play the part, but to tap your own personality, be yourself and sell yourself. Help us unpack that because in theory, it sounds great. And I agree with you hundred percent, but I'm sure so many of our listening listeners are saying, okay, how do I do that? Absolutely. Well, I think first and foremost, what I want to say to all of your listeners is remember that nobody can sell you or what you have made or a vision that you have as well as you can. And there is nothing wrong with selling yourself. And I say this to people all the time because I think women in particular, for some reason, we feel like we shouldn't be promoting ourselves or promoting something that we've made. And so I want to make sure that if you are listening right now, you understand that the most important thing that you should know is that no one can sell you as well as you. So think, get get sort of a piece of paper and a pencil out there and write down what you think could be your strike method. And then write down the three or four points that you feel are really what make you amazing, what sets you apart from the crowd and message that to other people. Because, you know, I've said to so many people about this, they're like, when did you feel powerful? And I said, well, I felt the most powerful when I wrote a book called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You and put it in hot pink and then published it. Because until that moment, did I feel powerful? I don't know, but I feel powerful now. I always felt powerful when I was on stage and I feel powerful now. So by saying it and by being the person who said it about myself, I really forced my own hand and I believe it 
in such a major way now that it helps me push things forward, even when sometimes I get that kind of ick feeling in my stomach that we all get. So I would say to someone, you know, sit down and figure out what it is about yourself that you really want to push forward and make sure to message that to other people. Love that. Love that. By the way, I want to mention, I love the hashtag that you use in all of your materials, which is hashtag own your power. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. So thank you for sharing that. So it's interesting because as in reading the book, uh, you talk about you are what you negotiate. And I think when most women hear the word negotiate, they automatically default to salary. But you're saying, look, don't be afraid to ask questions and advocate for yourself in life and in the workplace. And it's not just about salary. So how do we negotiate better for, for the day to day? I like to say that you should be negotiating all day long. Ask for things that you don't even want just to get used to the word no, because that is what keeps you from asking in the first place. So, you know, I tell this story in the book about going into a salary negotiation, because I think that is where we all get so emotional and so heated. Well, I'm not getting paid enough. I deserve more. But then again, we've never messaged that out there. It's just something that we're thinking internally. But I think it goes to everything in life. In any instance where you see something that you could ask for or ask a little more for, or just frankly, put a question out there into the universe, do it because negotiation is comfortability. And I say this when I'm whenever I'm on stage, there's always one person who rejects me, right? There's always one person who at the end of the evening stops bidding. We call them underbidders. And so I've learned with the underbidder, it always used to feel a little awful when someone would sort of give me the I'm cutting my head off, you know, like I'm stopping bidding, don't like please stop looking at me. Instead of saying, you know, instead of feeling kind of ick about it, I started saying to them, all right, we're are at $9,000 with my underbidder on the left. It's any advance over $9,000. And I sit on it for a second and the person gives me the the head cut off. And I say to them, well, the great news is now we know you have $9,000 burning a hole in your pocket for the next lot, sir. I will be back to you. And And then I sort of slam down the gavel for the other person. And so I use that because I use that in business too. If somebody comes back to me in my day job at Christie's where I run strategic partnerships and says, you know, we're not actually interested in doing this partnership, what I will say to them is, you know what, I'm gonna call you again in three months and we'll see if you have a different idea, or maybe I'll call you in six months and you'll be running the company and then you can make the decision that's going to really change the trajectory of your firm. So do not, yeah, do not think about it as an, as a stop. Think about it as part of a larger conversation and you're going back and forth. Right. No, just means not now, not forever. No means not now. Exactly. And you know, when you are the CEO and you have the ability to make decisions, I know you'll make the right one and here we go. So you and I are in 100% agreement that we fail forward and grow stronger each time we fail. Yet there's this cultural um, stigma about how failure is horrible. Would you unpack that for us? Because you believe so differently as I do and and maybe get vulnerable and, and share a failure that you've worked through. So our audience knows that even you, tremendously successful Lydia Finette has failed. Oh my gosh, I fail daily. <laughs> I fail all the time and I really, I don't take it to heart. And I think it all comes from a great story that comes from my middle school years where I played on three different sports teams, volleyball, basketball, and I ran track uh, for four years and we never won a game. Not 
one came in four years. And the interesting thing is that I would get dressed up in my sort of whatever outfit it was, volleyball outfit, basketball track outfit. I would you know, tie ribbons in my hair. I would eat my orange slices. And I would go out every single time thinking we were going to win for four years. <laughs> this was going to be the game. And we would lose you know, 56 to two. I was at a very small school. We had five players on our basketball team. We were never going to win, ever, ever, even if they didn't raise their hands. We had no offense. It didn't matter. And so I think about that. And I think about my parents sitting front row and saying the following thing to me every single time, you know, that was a tough loss. And I would look at them and say, yeah, that was a tough one. And they would say, but you know what? We think next week's going to be the week. And I would say, you know what? I think next week is going to be the week too. And it's such a great lesson in life because again, there's always another opportunity. It may not be the exact opportunity that didn't work out, but there will always be another opportunity. I had a young woman in my office yesterday and we were speaking about her career and she said, you know, I think for the past three years, I've just been doing the wrong thing. And I really hate that I've been doing this. And I said, you know what, you're going to look back in five years and these three years will have taught you something. And that is why you will be where you are today. There is something to be learned from every failure. There is something to be learned from everything that happens in life. And so if you look at it with that attitude and understand you will always be able to get past it, you're going to rock your life. You're going to have such a great life because you're not going to be looking back thinking, what if, what if? I didn't get in to my first choice college, um, even though I wrote an essay about that middle school, like not not getting in or not f- just continuing to fail over and over again. And I love telling that when I'm doing speeches, because I think it's, it's actually so funny. I said, you know, I wrote a, a whole essay about failing and it was my college essay. I thought I was going to get in. And guess what? I didn't get into my first choice college. But it worked out. It all works out. And at the time, I cried. I ate a pound of M&Ms. I cried more. But it all worked out. So just look at a life as a larger play. Don't be so focused on the tiny, tiny things that happen on a day-to-day basis that can derail you. Just realize it's part of a larger plan. Great advice. So Lydia, there's no doubt that you have command and gravitas and self-confidence and just a powerful persona that you convey, um, even even audibly, right, on this on this podcast and certainly in front of your live auction audiences. I don't know if that came natural to you or if that's something that you developed over time, but I know so many women uh, with whom I interact say, that's just not a natural part of me. How do I find that command? How do I find that charisma? So what are your thoughts? Look, it did not come naturally to me either. This is something that I definitely grew into. It's almost when I get off stage and people say, oh, you're such a natural charity auctioneer. Really? I've taken 1,500 auctions. That's why I'm a, quote, natural charity auctioneer. Um, And that's what confidence is. It's it's continuing to force yourself out of your comfort zone until you start believing it about yourself. Because so often what holds us back is our belief that we aren't this or someone thinks this about us, when in fact, people aren't thinking about you at all. And that's the that's the greatest misnomer in life. You know, a lot of times people will say something, well, you remember when that happened to me? And, and I sort of am thinking to myself, no, I don't recall that at all. You know what? I have a huge job, three kids, so much going on in my life that one sort of blip on someone's radar that will have derailed them for you know six months for the person who's sitting next to them is sort of, oh, I'm really sorry that happened to you, but you don't dwell on it. So I would just say to people, even if you don't have the confidence, push yourself and fake it a little bit. 
put on a smile, extend your hand, even if it makes you feel kind of Ugh, on the inside, because ultimately it will become something that you feel comfortable doing. And confidence is infectious and people will believe that you're confident if you act confident. And then you bring people along with you and they feel confident too. So again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You can't go into a room with slumped shoulders, hiding in a corner and be confident. If you put your shoulders back and put a big smile on your face and extend your hand to every single person, even if it feels awful, even if you have to push yourself out of your box, ultimately you will feel better about your experience because you put yourself out there. I want to reiterate something that I'm, I'm looking at in the book right now. You say practice, right? I mean, this yes. is not something that we're going to wing. And you said, look, how many thousands of auctions have you done? And you get better and better even to this day. Yes. And speak from your heart and bring enthusiasm. And that enthusiasm is so palpable, even, even on the air. So I thank you for that. So I want to ask, as we close, what's, what's one, one bit of wisdom? What's one nugget that you want to share with this global listening audience as they uh, begin to read your book? The most amazing takeaway from writing this book to me came from the case studies in the book. So if, if you read the book, you'll see I have about 30 case studies from different women, everyone from a very well-known figure like Martha Stewart down to friends of mine who've done well in their careers, but you know, re- well in a relative scale, not Martha Stewart, but they're doing well in their lives and their career. And I asked about 60 women to be in the book. And that right there, you can see I failed 30 times, 30 times someone said no to me, and I kept asking. So that should be a good example of a, of a hit rate. Um, you know, some of them were more along the lines of I can't because of X and others were just like, I just don't have the time or sometimes I didn't hear back from people. But the people who I thought were the most interesting were the people who asked me who else was in the book. Because you know who didn't ask me who was in the book? Martha Stewart, Ariana Huffington, Barbara Corcoran. None of those women asked me who else was in the book. Because frankly, they are the most powerful woman in the room. And I think a lot of that comes from believing that you are that person. So Martha Stewart doesn't need to know who else is in a book called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You because that's who she believes that she is. And so I would say to the people out there, Whatever you believe about yourself, whatever you message about yourself is what other people will believe. So instruct them to believe what you want them to believe and then go full throttle for the rest of your life and enjoy your life and live it the way you want to live it. That is brilliant. Lydia Finette, what an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I love your book. Let me tell our global audience the title so they can run out and order it or buy it. It's called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Command an audience and sell your way to success. And of course, it's available on Amazon and major book retailers and your website, which I would strongly encourage our listeners to check out, which is LydiaFinette.com. But I'm going to spell that L-Y-D-I-A-F as in Frank, E-N-E-T.com. Lydia, thank you for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I had a great conversation. Oh, I'm so glad. And I wish you continued success. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review. But let me help you understand why. This helps new people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you'd like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making our show awesome for the global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.